All right, we are in John chapter 6. Uh, if you haven't um, had a chance to get one of the Gospels of John, I encourage you to pick those up if you want to give those away. Uh, I uh, welcome you uh, to do that uh, also. You know, it's a, it's a means of evaluating. Uh, you hear it uh, in all kind of life context where somebody might say, well, he's a quick learner. Or she picked that up really quickly. Um, maybe we've heard that when you think about a student, if they're, are they a fast learner or uh, at your job, maybe you're training somebody to do a task and noticing that they pick it up quickly or, uh, or certainly as a parent, how well our children are learning the lessons that we want them to learn. When I said that in the first service, two or three parents right down front here went, mm, you know, they made this face like I thought, oh, I know what that means. So one of the great lessons of all time is found in Jesus in the feeding of the 5,000. And so we experienced that and learned about that last week. But after the lesson of the feeding of the 5,000 comes the pop quiz. Don't you like pop quizzes? Uh, probably not. Um, the, the questions that Jesus raises up, <coughs> excuse me, are in uh, John 6, um, kind of beginning with that last verse we looked at last week, verse 15, down through uh, verse 29. And the question that Jesus asked the, dis the disciples is, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? And the setting is this stormy sea and Jesus walking on the water. And really the underlying question is, did we learn, did the disciples learn what Jesus was trying to teach them? And then secondarily, uh, he is testing the crowd. Now the, the crowd, he asked the question, what are you working for? So Jesus is questioning them, helping them to understand what is their motivation, what is the motivation that comes from the bread that he provided and works this uh, fantastic miracle. But what we should know is that Jesus not only quizzes the disciples and the crowd, but he quizzes us. He quizzes us about what we have learned about faith and how we have put into practice the lessons that he is teaching us. He, he, he works with you that way, doesn't he? he? Certainly works with me. He wants us to put into practice. Sometimes maybe you think your children are never going to get it. You know, they, you've given them that same lesson over and over again. Well, I think the Spirit of God feels like that about us once in a while. Have we put into practice those lessons that he is seeking uh, to teach us? So let's learn together today uh, through the Gospel of John chapter 6 um, as, we, as we learn together. So verse 15, the last verse that we looked at, remember what happened that Jesus had done this incredible miracle feeding the 5,000 plus, and now they, the people were coming to toward him to make him a king by force. So instead of falling into their hands, he withdrew again until the, unto the hills, it says, by himself. So verse 16 and 17, it says, when the evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. 
So you see what's happening here is Jesus has gone off by himself. The disciples are out alone on the sea. Where is Jesus? Jesus has intentionally, right after this miracle, separated himself from both the disciples and the crowd. Now, why did he do that? Why would he do this wonderful miracle that they could have celebrated together? Well, the scripture tells us that he separated himself. Why? Three different reasons. One is Jesus needed to reject the call of the crowd. The crowd wanted him to be this earthly king. So he was saying no to that. That's not what I came to do. And, um, you know, there are times in our life that you just can't listen to the crowd can't listen to the people around you. You got to discern what is it that God wants me to do. And even if I'm being influenced by other people around me to make another decision, sometimes you have to stand firm and to listen to the voice of God and obey what he wanted to do you to do. Uh, Jesus is able to do that. Jesus is able to help us. He also uh, separates himself because he wanted to be alone with the father. So just as uh, he needed to be close to God when he was around the crowd, the disciples. Uh, he knows that they've been doing intense ministry together, and it was time for him to come and to be, uh, to be alone, to be alone with the Father. Now, that's not really the theme of this message tonight, but it might need to be just what you, what you need to hear. You know, you need to spend time alone with God. If you're stressed out, if you're hurting if your heart is heavy, if you've got stuff going on in your life, maybe the best thing you could do is to carve out some time alone with God. Talk to God. Get into the Bible. Tell him what is taking place there. Now, if Jesus needed to be alone with his father, I certainly do. So do you. Time with him, that we can get alone with him. One of the third reasons that he wanted to place his disciples in a time of separation was he put the disciples into a position of trust, a position of trust. He, um, they're out rowing across the sea by themselves. Um, and the scripture tells us uh, in Mark that tells the same story. It adds these details in Mark 6. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples his disciples get into the boat. Notice that made right there. He didn't ask them. He made them get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside uh, to pray. Uh, I focused on that word made. The, th this was not the disciples' idea. They probably wanted to continue to hang around Jesus, but Jesus got them to get into a boat. And he made them, as Scripture says. So it's important to notice that. So you can see the scene. The disciples are rowing across the Sea of Galilee. They have probably rowed across that sea many times. Um, and we don't know exactly where Jesus was. They may have thought he was walking along the shoreline, that he would walk along the shoreline and meet them somewhere in the morning. But that's not what Jesus' plan was. Jesus had an entirely different plan. So they get into this boat, and they start across the sea, and we know that they were fishermen, so they, had, they knew this water very well. But the scripture tells us in verse 19 that, um, excuse me, verse 18, a script, the storm began to blow. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters uh, grew. So they're out in the middle of this lake, and Jesus had made them go there, right? The disciples are caught in the middle of this storm because... They obeyed the Lord. They're in the storm because they obeyed the Lord. They're caught in the middle of this storm. That ever happened to you? 
That ever happened to you? I mean, sometimes we think we end up in our problems because we disobeyed the Lord. We didn't do what God wanted. The storm came through disobedience. Um, you remember Jonah, uh, the book of Jonah, short little book. He was running from the Lord and the storm and the difficulties that he had happened in his life happened because he was running away from God. He was disappointing and disobeying God. But we forget that sometimes you can do exactly what God wants you to do and still end up in a storm. Being in a storm, just because you are serving God and faithful to him does not mean that you're not going to have difficulties and storms that come along. But it's a reminder to us that God gives us power in the storm, that God gives us the ability to overcome those storms. He gives us security and assurance there. It builds our trust when we go through the storm and put our trust in him because of their obedience, they end up in the midst of this storm. So notice verse 19 says, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water and they were frightened. So it's, it's early in the morning. One of the other gospels tells us it was between three and six o'clock in the morning. And they see Jesus coming, walking along the storm comes and they're rowing their boat out across the sea. It wasn't a calm sea. It was tossing them everywhere. And the scripture says in Matthew that they thought he was a ghost and they were terrified. You would think they'd be amazed or overjoyed. Nope. They are frightened. They thought he was a ghost. One translation says they were scared out of their wits. I like that. <laughs> They're scared. Uh, Jesus met them in the storm and they're out on the lake and there's a lot of white caps walking along. The disciples are probably fearful for the storm that's come. And now somebody is walking toward them and they don't recognize it as Jesus. And they're screaming out, it's a ghost. It's going to get us. We're going to die. Incredible story. Here he is walking on the water. You know, there's a lot of great stories in the Bible, but you never get over this one because you've never seen this before. I mean, you've seen people maybe be healed, uh, not quite like he does, or feed, feeding 5,000. You know, we, we see people fed, maybe not quite like he does, but, but you don't see anybody walking on water. I mean, I can imagine Jesus on the swim team, right? You know, just <laughs> he would just get across in a whole different way there. Uh, there's something about the walking on the water that amazes us. Uh, it's one of those things that we've never seen before. And so, but the disciples' response is one of fear. And so there are two powerful impacts on these disciples uh, when it happened. First of all, their fear kept them from recognizing Jesus. Their fear kept them from recognizing Jesus. Uh, they thought he was a ghost coming out in the middle of the water. They didn't see that it was God through Christ that was coming uh, to help them. Uh, you know, sometimes we get afraid. Sometimes we struggle because fear can cause you to not recognize the presence of God in your life. But it's more than that. Something, something even more incredible happened. Their fear also caused them to be terrified of Jesus. He's walking toward them, but they were terrified. So what does he say? Verse 20 says, he said to them, it is I do not be afraid. Do you know what the most common repeated command in the Bible is? The most common command is fear not. 
do not be afraid. It is spoken uh, hundreds of times uh, throughout, throughout the scripture. So he's reminding them, uh, don't, don't be afraid. You know, Jesus wants to come into our life and to help us with our fears and to make a difference in the things that cause us to struggle, the things that cause us to be afraid. Being in those situations, we are called to recognize Jesus in our life. I noticed that this miracle kind of had multiple phases to it. The first phase is that the disciples are without Jesus. You ever feel that sometime? You feel like you're alone. You're uncertain about what is taking place. You're without him. Uh, you know, you don't know where he is or how he is working, but you're feeling that you're all by yourself. Sometimes that's a beginning place. Uh, the second phase of this was the disciples with an unknown Jesus. So someone is coming, but they don't recognize uh, who he is. Somebody's coming to help, but they are terrified of him. That happens to us as well. And then finally, we see the disciples with Jesus Christ uh, in their boat. He says, do not be afraid. Then verse 21 tells us that the, um, then they were willing to take him into the boat. You know, it's always wise to be willing to take Jesus into your boat. They were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the scripture says the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Um, this is an amazing miracle. I mean, it's fantastic. There's, there's multiple miracles going on here. Um, one of the miracles is clear. It is Jesus walking on the water. That's an amazing miracle. Now, Matthew and Mark tell us that Peter also asked, could he come out to him? And that Peter walked on the water. I don't know if you would have done that or tried that, but Peter was ambitious and asked him to go to come out. The Bible tells us that he took a few steps, and then when he saw the wind and the wave going on, that he began to sink. And Jesus, uh, when he said, Lord, save me, Jesus reached down and lifted him up. But he asked him, have you not been learning the lessons? Why do you doubt? Uh, he said. Um, so Peter walking on the water was the second miracle. The third miracle was that when he got into the boat, the storm was quiet. The storm stilled when Jesus stepped into the boat. He stopped the storm. And then there's a fourth miracle. Maybe you don't hear about this one very much, but did you notice that it says, and immediately, meaning as soon as he got into the boat, immediately the boat reached the shore where they had been heading. Now, I don't think that means that they had almost got there by the time Jesus got in the boat. I think it means they're still out in the lake, right? They're still out in the water there. And it says immediately they ended up on the other shore. Um, that, that's a fantastic miracle. I'll kind of come back to that thought in just a minute. Uh, but you can see some of the things that Christ is teaching them, this lesson that he's had, this quiz that he's after asking of them. Uh, why, why are you afraid? So some of the resources that we gain when we're dealing with fears and uncertainties and storms in our life, what, what does Jesus offer to us? Well, the first one you might not like very much, but Jesus moves us toward our fears, toward our fears. It's a stormy night. He made them get into the lake, uh, in the, into the boat and go out onto the lake. Did Jesus know that it was going to be a storm that night? No doubt, Right. He, he knew exactly what was happening. He was putting them in that position of trust. So why in the world would God move us toward our fears? I think the answer is because he wants us to face them. 
He wants us to face our fears. I can't face my fears if I'm running from them. I can't face my fears if I'm distancing myself from, the, from them. So the first thing that Jesus does to help us overcome our fear is to move us toward our fear. That's a very interesting thing. Now notice the second. The second thing is that Jesus enters into our fears. Jesus enters into our fears. He took a walk on the lake. Here he comes face to face with those disciples who are fearful and uncertain and doubtful. You know, you see this happen in multiple places throughout the Bible. I noticed that you see it in Daniel. Remember in Daniel when Daniel uh, is praying and he's not supposed to be praying and he's cast into the lion's den. Well, the Bible tells us that an angel came into the lion's den and shut the mouth of the lions. He entered into the lion's den. Those three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember those guys? They are thrown into the fiery furnace for not worshiping the king. They worshiped God instead. But did you notice that the Bible tells us when they looked into the fiery furnace, they didn't just see the three boys, but they saw the fourth man in the fire, the one who is like the Son of God. That's Jesus. That's Jesus in the fiery furnace. He enters into the storm with us. Don't you and I face situations just like that? We face furnaces. We, we face problems. We face difficulties there. And Jesus comes into the midst of the storm with us. You know, when you and I, when you and I face trials or struggles or storms, however you want to describe it, the number one piece of advice I would give you is look for Jesus. Look for him. I mean, if he's, he's there, he comes face to face with us in the midst of those situations. He promises that he'll walk on water. He'll show up in the lion's den. He'll show up in those situations. Now, it might seem kind of simplistic to you. I mean, looking for Jesus when you're, when you're facing fear. But I think that's sometimes the number one misstep that we make is that we, we face those fears and forget to look for him. When you look for Jesus, you know, he's the one that's going to solve the problem. You're going to try to solve it yourself. You're going to try to figure it out. Why in the world am I in this situation to begin with? Instead, we look to Jesus, and he is the one that has a solution for our fears. So you notice he moved him, them toward the fears. He entered into the fears. Thirdly, Jesus calls us to trust him with our fears. That's, that's really the picture here. The disciples bring Jesus into the boat. They bring him in the place of their fear, and he is the one that is offering a solution. Um, you know, don't forget how big, how great, how awesome God is. Help God not to be just big and mighty when you sing about him on Sunday morning. He's mighty on Wednesday before you get up, too. He's always strong and able. We just have to look for him. They bring him uh, in into the boat, and then the last thing happens. Jesus moves us away from our fears. He literally moved them away. His disciples, they're in this boat, they're fearful, and the scripture says that he moved them to the other side, <laughs> to another side. Oh, I love that. Uh, you know, sometimes when we think about the struggles that we have, we only see the dark side. We see the downside. But I want to tell you this morning that when Jesus gets involved, he helps you see the other side. Come on. I'll go over here and try this. 
<laughs> when you're in the midst of a storm, a situation, there's always another side. He doesn't just expect you to solve it on your own. You know, that scripture said they immediately went to the other side. Now, I know what that's saying. I, I recognize that. It's a miracle. But I think that it's helpful to remember that God has another way of looking at it. Whatever you're praying about, whatever you're struggling with, God has another perspective that he wants you to look at. Man, that's a great miracle. That's good preaching right there. I mean, that, uh, that immediately, there's another side that he wants you to see, not just looking at it the way that you humanly are looking at it. You got to get God's wisdom. You got to get his perspective because when you see it his way, it creates peace and confidence that we can trust him. He is the one that has the solutions and the wisdom uh, that we need. So whatever's happening in your life, if you allow Jesus Christ to bring you face to face with those fears, he will take you to the other side, to another perspective. Um, that doesn't mean that the storm is completely gone. It just simply means that you're on God's side and not on the dark side, recognizing that instead of being under the situation that you are filled with faith. When you allow Jesus Christ to begin to do that, you find resources, you find power, you find helpfulness to us when we come face to face with our fears and we experience the breakthrough that he has in mind uh, for us. So what, what a promise uh, for us through, through this quiz that he's offering to us. How are we learning? But Jesus isn't finished. He's got another question. So he comes to the other side and the crowd begins to gather around them and he has a quiz for them. What, what are you working for? Like, what are you putting all this energy into your life for? Here we go. Uh, verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but had gone away alone. Like they're paying, they're minding his business, aren't they? <laughs> They're just paying attention to all this stuff. It says some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Again, they're not minding their own business, that's for sure. Uh, Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me. Not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So you remember, they walked around uh, trying to find Jesus. They get into their own boats that are there and they try to get to the other side so the crowds and the disciples in this setting they're filled with confusion they're asking questions they're wondering uh, about things and they've had this great meal that they celebrated together on the hillside there but now there's confusion and there's confusion from the crowd and there's confusion from the disciples now, I'd like you to notice uh, the difference between the two there. What's the difference between what's going on with the crowd and what happens with the disciples? First of all, what's the crowd doing? The crowd is searching for Jesus. They are searching for Jesus. They're asking questions. They're confused. They're using all kind of energy. They're walking around. They're getting on boats. They are searching for Jesus. But notice the disciples. 
the disciples were sought out by Jesus. Sought out by Jesus. That's the difference between being a believer and an unbeliever. Uh, have you noticed that sometimes believers and unbelievers can have the same problems, can have some of the same needs? But a lot of times, a person that hasn't put their faith in Christ is seeking for an answer or seeking for something. But when you're a believer in Christ and you face a troubled need in your life, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is seeking you out. He didn't just wait for them to get to the other side. He walked out to them. He was seeking them out. Um, that's the same thing that happens to us. We recognize that God seeks us out. Sometimes in trying to find an answer, we get confused. But we know that Christ is longing uh, to help us. Notice he says, I tell you the truth. You were looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Whew. He is, uh, you know, he, he's telling them right away, I'm interested in your motivation, not just your action. No, he's saying there's, there's something going on here. He's asking what, what is really happening in their heart. Why are you using all this energy? Why are you chasing after us? Um, you know, you even got in these boats and, and came across on your own, and here you come looking for me. It, it reminds us that... Jesus is always telling us the truth. You know, he was straight to the point, wasn't he? He says, you're not just, you're not really looking for, for God's help. You just want lunch again, right? You just want some more food. I, I love it that Jesus is always honest. He's always to the point. You know, Jesus was not one of those politically correct people. Uh, he's not some kind of diplomat. He always had love and compassion for people, but he always told us the truth. He's still like that. He still tells us he recognizes if we've been getting these lessons or, or are we, uh, we still not recognizing what he's teaching us. Jesus says, don't work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you on him. God, the father has placed his seal of approval. Um, notice there's some simple things going on here. He's talking about appetites. What is our appetite? Uh, Jesus said that food can perish, but also food that endures. So the first thing he's talking about is a physical appetite. You know about that one, don't you? It's, it's kind of getting close. I'm sure you, uh, as you start thinking about that, getting that physical appetite, what you're going to have today. But Jesus said, remember, there's another kind of appetite. There's not only a physical appetite, but there is a spiritual appetite, a physical appetite that for food that perishes. I don't know when you went to the grocery store last, but you'll go again. Right? That food gets ate up. And if you don't eat it and use it, it's likely to go bad. And you got to go get some more food that perishes for a physical appetite. You know, our hunger is really important to us. Um, you know, the food looks great. And, uh, and Jesus ties this need and he says, I know you know about physical food, but there's a greater need in your life than even physical food. 
spiritual food, spiritual appetite. He says, I want to give you food that is going to endure, food that endures or helps us endure the situations of our, of our life, recognizing that, you know, when you hear about an illness, when you hear about a problem, when you're facing a need, you know, sometimes you lose. Come out of here. There we go. Got it back on. Thank you. Recognizing that uh, physical appetite is not what he, what he has in mind. You know, we love our physical appetite, but he wants us to have a spiritual appetite that will last, that will endure. Isn't that why you come to church? You know, I mean, maybe you come to see your friends. You know, I know some people do that. But what we come to do is to have dinner together. Not physically but to eat well, uh, because we got we to gotta take care of ourselves. You know, I notice most of you eat more than once a week. I can tell. <laughs> but some people think all they have to do is spiritually just eat once a week. Oh, there's a bunch of people that don't even come once a week. Right? You got to eat every day. Because God wants you to have a spiritual appetite, a longing for God, a longing for his word so that he will keep you healthy and strong. Now, I don't, that doesn't mean I don't want you to come to church, but he wants us to get filled up today, but also to continue to, to, to eat well uh, week after week after week as we are nourished by the spirit. Um, so he's, he's asking about our motivation. Um, and he, he gives us two different ways of thinking about how to fulfill that appetite. Um, he said, uh, do not work for food that spoils but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So he's, he's recognizing the difference between the work that we do and the gifts that God gives to us. You know, you cannot earn what God wants to give to you. You can't accomplish it. You can't pay for it. It'd be like, I don't know, it'd be like going to my house with my mom for Thanksgiving dinner, and we know we got the menu all planned out, and she's got it all prepared, and all the family's coming in, and man, we just have a great time together, and then uh, I get up at the end, and I tell you what I would never do. I would never say, Mom, how much I owe you? Because that would be insulting to my mother. Now, like, if I want to help get the groceries in advance, but she's not looking for payment because it's a family moment. It's a family gathering uh, for us together. So if you think you can pay God for what he wants to give you, you've got another thing coming. You can't go to church enough. You can't read the Bible enough. You can't earn what God offers to you. He says, I will give you this spiritual food that will, will nourish you. So he's willing to, to encourage us. We're not insulting him by thinking we're going to pay for it or do it by my own effort. So the two methods of fulfilling the appetite is one is work, which is my effort over against his giving, giving, which is God's uh, grace. Uh, verse 28, 
right at the end there, a great verse to kind of memorize and recognize. It says, then they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? What must we do to do the works God requires? I told you there was a second question. What are our fears? Now, what, what, what are the works that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. To believe in the one. What is the work? The work is the work of belief. Believing. Oh, I love the gospel of John. I know you can't tell, but I really love John. Uh, why would we spend a year uh, studying a gospel like this? I'll tell you that one of the, the key factors here, uh, the, the key theme of the gospel of John is that you may have life and that you may believe. Believe now, it's but he's not saying, I just want you to kind of come to grips and kind of the way you're thinking about this. You know, belief for John is not a single act, it is a constant attitude. Believe in the gospel of John is a present tense, active experience in our relationship with God. When I was, um, Oh, I felt it when I was growing up, and then it happened to me when I was when I was first pastoring. So I was pastoring this little church, and um, the, it had been closed, and um, people had seen the board on the windows, and you know it's it's right there in this big neighborhood. There's a bunch of houses all around there. So I thought, well, I you know I'm past. I started with seven people, so I thought we got to win some people. So uh, I just started walking down the street, knocking on the door, and I tell people. Where I was from, I'm new pastor at this Nazarene church right down the road. And, uh, and people would say, oh, we, we have a church, you know, all, all the time. And, uh, and so uh, after a while, I just started saying, well, where do you, where do you go to church? Well, uh, you know, we've, we belong to this church down here, but we haven't been there in quite a while. But, but when I was eight, I got baptized down at the Baptist church down there as if that's really all that mattered. Now, there's nothing wrong with being baptized when you're eight years old, but when you're 54 years old, and that's the only thing that you're referring back to, there's something wrong with that, right? That started bugging me. It still bugs me. That's why I'm talking about it. You know, you have to believe current, present tense, up-to-date belief in your relationship with God. It's not about something that happened to you when you were 8 or 12 or 20 or grandma or somebody else that, that influenced you. Maybe, you know, I hear people once in a while say, well, I used to go to church. Church used to be pretty good, but I kind of, you know, church went down, we had problems and all that, and now they're just kind of wandering along. And uh, I, I love talking to them about not church attendance, but about believing. That's what he's up to. He's checking the motivation of our heart, and he's asking you, do you believe? Are you taking in spiritual food that is nourishing you and nourishing your belief? Because secondly, he says that believing in the one he has sent. So it's not how you believe, but who you trust, who you believe in. Jesus Christ is God's seal of approval. That's not like the good housekeeping seal. That's like the, the perfect heavenly father's seal uh, of approval on him. He's the only one that you can put your trust in that is going to change your life, that is going to help overcome your fears. And there's one other thing here. It's not about a balance between my work and God's work. It is complete surrender. So let's talk about that just a moment. Uh, when, when you think 
that your trust in God is sort of a balance between what you can do and what God does. The truth is we abandon our work for God's grace. You know, we abandon ourselves. So it's not 90, 10, you know, God does 90%. I do 10% and, I, and I'm going to be, it's not 50, 50. It's not, it's a hundred percent God. It's not that we don't take action, and, but everything that we do in relationship with God is in response to what God has done for us. It's not earning it ourselves. Um, I, I, was, I was trying to think about a, like a picture of that. Let's suppose I, I grew up uh, not too far from Myrtle Beach, uh, South Carolina. And so, um, you know, let's think if, we were, if you were going to take a trip um, from Myrtle Beach to the Bahamas, let's say that. So you've got to leave South Carolina and roll down the, the coastline, down Florida, and get to the Caribbean, all right? So we're going to go in a rowboat. So we're out on the ocean in the Atlantic, and we're rowing. Now, I'm telling you, if I was going to try to row, I'd be dead before I got there. That's for sure. No chance uh, of getting there. Um, but I'm working at it. And so, wow, I'm rowing. Trying to do my best, fighting the waves and out in the ocean there, trying to get there. And all of a sudden, here comes this ocean liner, and it's coming along. Now, the rowboat is my work. The power of God is that ocean liner. So I could say, hey, throw me a line, and I'll stay in my rowboat, and I'll row as fast as I can, and you guys just kind of pull me along. You know, it pull me under, Right? No chance. I could not keep up with that ocean liner. So what I need to do is get out of the rowboat and get up on that ocean liner. You know, I know some people, they get up on the ocean liner, but they're still sitting in the rowboat. They're still working at it. They think they're really moving themselves along and all they know, but you know, you just got to get rid of the rowboat, right? You can't work it in your own strength. You got to surrender yourself completely to God. That's why he comes to us. That's, that's the work of God uh, in us, around us. It's not a balancing work between my work and God's work. It's abandoning myself, completely giving myself to him so that everything that I am doing, hear me now, uh, I don't know if he wants us to, to, to do some work, but when you get on the ocean liner, he gives you a responsibility. You might work in the engine room or the navigation room or whatever he wants you to do. But whatever effort that you're putting out, it's because that effort is under the power of God. Praise God. He's recognizing the, the help that he wants to offer to us as we surrender ourselves completely to him. So what, what do you need from him today? Like what kind of spiritual food uh, do, you, do you need to eat? Or what, what does he what does he want to do in your spirit this morning? You know, he's here, and he's got lessons for us, and he has spiritual food to help you with the things that you brought into this room today. Up to date, present tense, not just what has happened or what might happen in the future, but right now today, you're believing in him, and as you believe in him, he's going to help you, help to meet your need. He's going to walk on water to come and to seek you out. And we have an altar here, and we can have an altar call this morning, but I thought y'all need to come to the altar, right? All y'all? We all need to go to the altar. We all need to bow ourselves before him and quit working so hard in our own strength and put ourselves in his hands. So I'd like you just to make an altar right where you are. Just kind of just close your eyes. Don't be, don't be worried about anybody else sitting next to you. Let's just spend a few minutes 
asking him, what, what kind of spiritual food are you longing for? What do you need him to accomplish in you? What is he, where has he kind of put you? What position has he put you in right now? And instead of being upset about it, know that he's going to show up. He's going to be there right in that situation. Trust him. Depend on him. This is not just a message for a Sunday. This is our daily time with him. Believe in him and whatever it is that he wants to accomplish in you. Let him help you. Let him teach you. Tell him, I'm learning these lessons, Lord, and I want to put my trust in you. Lord, today, all the hymn writer said, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Today, we abandon ourselves to you, Lord. Not in, not in a saving way. We, many in this room, they know you. They trust you. They've given their life to you. But today we're talking about this moment. You put us in the boat. We're on the journey. But Lord, we, we need to know that you're with us. We pray for you to, to enter into our fears and our circumstances. We pray that you would speak to us and that you would enliven our hunger for the spiritual things, for food that will endure. So Lord, we pray that the food that we've received today will be lasting, that the lessons that you're seeking to teach us, that we don't have to learn them over and over and over again, but that we apply them so that you can deepen us and direct our faith. We believe that the work that you want to accomplish in us is for us to believe in you, to trust in you. So we pray that you would help us today and we give you thanks for feeding us spiritually, and helping us to stay alive in you. We praise you together today, and if you gave yourself to him today, would you all, everybody say together, amen, amen, praise him, thank God. Amen.